Paul is going to command Timothy to exercise his authority because he knows that he's shy and diffident in doing so. Now, can anybody relate with Timothy? Young, weak, shy. And so when you ask, can God use a person like that? Your answer is found in this man. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is the senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. He was in some ways not the man you would expect to lead a major congregation. He had some health issues and he was very young. And yet, the Apostle Paul saw in Timothy a genuine love for the Lord, along with the upbringing of a righteous mother who also sought the will of God in her life and in the life of her son. Today we begin a study of 1 Timothy. This letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, his true child in the faith, is sometimes referred to as one of the pastoral epistles because in it, Paul gives Timothy advice on how to best pastor his church. Let's join Dr. Brogy now as he begins a new study in the book of 1 Timothy. You know, we live in a day when so many churches that call themselves Christian really, in many ways, would not be recognized by a first century believer. Throughout the centuries, many unbiblical traditions have entered into the church as it relates to the government, to the leadership, to the worship, and even as to what a church is supposed to do and what they're to function like. And unfortunately, many of those man-made traditions have found their way into the church because most people don't really know what's right. They don't have a standard by which they can judge truth. And so the seven most famous words of the church, we have always done it that way, have taken the place of biblical authority. And the result is a modern church with all kinds of extremes and really all kinds of heresies. And so this morning, I want to begin a brand new series. I want to look at three books of the Bible together in the coming months. They're called the Pastoral Epistles. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Paul's first letter to Timothy. It's easy to find the letters in the book that uh, begin with the letter T are all found in the New Testament. Uh, they're all found together. They go from uh, long to short. And so Thessalonians is longer than the word Timothy, which is longer than the word Titus. Now, in the letters, First and Second Timothy, and the letter of Titus, have become known as the pastoral epistles. Actually, it was Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century who called this first letter a pastoral letter. And to be precise, in the 18th century, in, in 1703, uh, a D.N. Bordeaux classified all three letters, 1st and 2nd Timothy, as the pastoral epistles. And not a bad title, because these are letters that are not written simply to Titus and to Timothy, but to every pastor and to every congregation, every body of Christians, that they might know how to function. Now, Titus and Timothy held some unique positions because they were not only elders or pastors, but under Paul's leadership, they had been delegated with him some unique first century authority where they were in this new church uh, overseeing a number of churches. Timothy, the churches in Ephesus, and Titus, as we will see, the churches on the island of Crete. Now, as you read through the Word of God, you're going to discover that there are two prominent themes that run all the way through Holy Scripture. One theme is the way to God. That is how the sinner can find forgiveness and new life in Jesus Christ. 
The other theme and emphasis is the walk with God. Once you are saved, what does it take to walk holy and intimately with the Lord? Now, while both themes, I suppose, in some sense are taught in every book of the Bible, some have a more pointed focus than others. And when you come to Paul's first letter to Timothy, the emphasis and focus is on our walk with God. Paul brings it down to where we live. He puts it into shoe leather. He helps us to see how pastors should function and how we as a congregation should function together. So let's get started. It was Aristotle who well said, like archers, we stand a far better chance of hitting the target if we can see it. So let me delineate the lines of the target this morning. I really have three objectives for us today. First, I want to understand how 1 Timothy fits into the canon of Scripture and also how the book of 1 Timothy fits together. Second, we want to talk about this man, Timothy. Who is he? Who is this man who takes such prominence throughout the New Testament epistles? And third, I want to crack the door by examining the first six verses of chapter 1. So let's begin by thinking about how 1 Timothy fits in the Bible. Whenever you study a book in the Bible, you ought to see its relationship to the rest of of the biblical writings. And so how does 1 Timothy fit into the canon of Scripture? Well, as you know, God has divided his book into two major sections. The first half, we call it the Old Testament. The second half, we call it the New Testament. The Old Testament, having 39 individual books, has two great themes. One is man's need for salvation because of his sin. But also how the nation of Israel fits into that plan. So God gives us a history of the nation of Israel until about 400 years before Messiah comes. When you come to the New Testament, the last 27 books of the Bible, it too has two great themes. One, how man's need for salvation was met through Israel in the person of Jesus Christ. And second, how the church as an organization and as a living organism should function together. Now, most of the life of Christ is captured in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The rest of the New Testament primarily focuses on the church. Luke focuses on the first 30 years of church history. We call it the Acts of the Apostles. Then the last book of the Bible, the Revelation, focuses on the ultimate end of the church. And in between the Acts and the Revelation are the letters that are written by Peter, James, Paul, Jude, uh, men who wrote the New Testament, Paul, of course, being the most prolific. And of course, 1 Timothy, along with the other pastoral epistles, tell us what a pastor is to be like and what the church, how the church should function. So here in this first letter to Timothy, he gives us some pointed instruction as to church leadership, church government, the conduct, and the goal of a local church. And without it, well, we'll be led into all kinds of heresy and all kinds of problems. So that's how 1 Timothy fits into the Bible. But let's think about how 1 Timothy fits together. Why is Paul writing to Timothy? And how does this whole epistle thread itself together? Well, it's always helpful to get the big picture of any book of the Bible, because if you can get the big picture, you'll see how the various component parts come together. And the way to do that is just to read a letter over and over and over and over again. And as you read this book, many, many times over, you're going to see that there are basically three sections to Paul's first letter to Timothy. 
the first three chapters of the epistle deal with the church and its members. And in this section, he's going to address um, how pastors should protect the members of the church by guiding them through the Word of God. But he's also going to talk about how we should pray together. He's going to speak to the issue of church leadership. He's going to deal with the role of worship and the role that men are to play, the role that women are to play. He's going to elucidate on the qualifications for an elder and for a deacon. And in this first section, he's also going to give the most detailed explanation in all of the New Testament on the role of men and women. And he's going to give us a definitive answer to probably the hottest question of this decade. The question, should women be pastors? Should women be deacons? And if they can't be elders or deacons... What role does God call women to play? He's going to help us to understand that in both 1 Timothy and Titus. So that's the first section, the church and its members. When we come to chapter 4, we clearly make a break and we go into some new material where he deals with the church and its minister, its pastor. And in this section, Paul will show that a good minister will preach the word, that a godly minister will practice the word, and that a growing minister will progress in his knowledge of the word. And the second section gives us some very practical principles, really for any Christian, for any believer who wants to be used by Jesus Christ. Now, finally, when you come to chapters 5 and 6, you come to the section of the book that deals with the church and its ministry. What is it that the church is supposed to do? And so Paul gives Timothy some very pointed counsel on how he should deal with various members in the church, that his ministry is to extend to older men, to older women, to widows, to elders, to servants, to the rich, to the poor. He is to love and serve all people regardless of their age or profession or stature in life because God has called us together to be a family. And a good shepherd will guard that family. He will guard that flock against false teachers. And so that's the first letter of Timothy. Read it through this week if you haven't read it in a while. Do it at one sitting. Read it a couple of times, maybe once each day between now and next Sunday. The first section, the church and its members. The second section, the church and its minister. The third section, the church and its ministry. Or to say it differently, the emphasis of the first section is to be wise. The emphasis of the second section is to be strong. And the emphasis of the third section is to be faithful. So, having thought about how it fits into the canon and how it fits together, let's thirdly, by introduction, talk about how Timothy became a pastor. Notice how verse 2 begins. To Timothy, my true child in the faith. So let's think for just a few minutes about who this person Timothy is that Paul writes to. Now, we know an awful lot about Timothy from the rest of Scripture. And as you look at his life, you can really divide it into three major sections. His youth, his conversion, and his commissioning into the ministry. In the 16th chapter of Acts, for instance, at the start of Paul's second missionary journey, we read this. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father a Greek. And he was well spoken of, that is Timothy, by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. 
Now, his home was in Lystra, one of the four major cities in the Galatian province, four cities that Paul visited in both his first and second missionary journeys. And Timothy, we learn in this verse, was the product of a mixed marriage. His mother was a Jew, his father was a Greek. And we learn from Paul's second letter to Timothy that his mother's name was Eunice and that his grandmother's name was Lois. And both were godly women. They were people of sincere faith. And long before they had ever received Christ as their personal Savior, as Old Testament saints, they instructed Timothy in the truth of the Scriptures, such that when Paul writes to him in his second letter, he can say to Timothy that from childhood you have known the sacred writing. That is, you've known the Scriptures, the Old Testament, because why? His Jewish mother and grandmother taught him. I like the way John Calvin said it in his commentary. He said, Timothy sucked in godliness with his mother's milk. Now, his father was a Greek, and Paul tells us, in essence, an unbeliever. But his mother, Eunice, became a Christian. Understand that there was a point in time when an Old Testament saint, if they were alive during the time of Messiah, had to make a decision about Messiah. Would they truly embrace him or not? And of course, Old Testament saints were saved the same we are, way we are. They were looking forward to the Christ in the same way we look back to the Christ. But there came a time in human history when the Messiah, the Christ, came. And they had to decide what they would do with him. Now, his father was a Greek, but his mother and Timothy and Eunice became believers on Paul's first missionary journey. So she's described in this verse, his Jewish mother, as a believer, and Timothy in like fashion, and that he's called a disciple. So Timothy becomes a believer as well. And Timothy owes his conversion, as we'll see, to the apostle Paul. His mother nurtured him, but Paul came with the good news that he might believe. So Paul calls him in his letter to the Corinthians, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. Or here in our text this morning, my true child in the faith. Or in his second letter, Timothy, my beloved son. Timothy was led to faith in Christ through the apostle Paul. Paul had begotten him in the faith. He was his spiritual father and so Timothy his son. And of all the people that Paul led to Christ, Timothy was most dear to him. He mentions him in his letter to the Philippians. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all, that is other leaders in the church, seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. And Timothy had made such progress in his spiritual growth that two years after his conversion, at the start of Paul's second missionary journey, where we are here in Acts 16, Paul wants to take him along. We're told that he was well spoken of by the brethren that were in Lystra and Iconium. He had made tremendous strides in his faith, and yet he was just a few years old in the faith. You know, I meet some Christians who are more mature after two years of walking with God than I've seen some people who've walked with God for 25 years. And so we learn in verse 3, Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now this verse gives me a hint about why Eunice, a Jew, married an unbelieving Greek. Now God did not forbid a Jew to marry a Gentile, 
but he did forbid a Jew to marry an unbeliever. A Gentile must first become a proselyte, a convert to Judaism. And in both Testaments, God affirms that a believer is never to marry an unbeliever. Now, if you find yourself in that state this morning, it's the will of God for your life right now until death d does you part. But I get a hint here about his mother, because had she been a walking believer with the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul would not have had to have circumcised Timothy because he would have done so, her mother would have, on the eighth day according to the law. And so she married an unbeliever either because she was a Jewish unbeliever or secondly, she was a believer, but she was out of fellowship with God. But probably, maybe even during her pregnancy, certainly by the time he was a young child, her heart was stirred such that she began to walk with the living God. So that Paul can write in his second letter, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your mother, grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And if you think about it, this is the experience of many parents today. I meet people who come here all the time. Well, why'd you come to the church? Well, you know, we're pregnant and we're expecting our child. Or, you know, our child's already three or four years old and we haven't gone to church and we were brought to church and we feel like, you know, we need to do something. Well, somewhere probably in the course of that pregnancy or shortly thereafter, this mother saw her need. Maybe she went back to the teachings of her godly mother. And in the course of time, she nurtured this young man in the faith such that when the gospel and the promises of the Old Testament finally come to fruition and Timothy hears it, all three of them embrace faith in Christ. And Paul then circumcises Timothy at the start of this second missionary journey. Now that's rather surprising because in the chapter that precedes this, God said it was unnecessary at the Jerusalem Council to be in right relationship with him. But Paul does it now in order not to be an offense to Jewish men who would have asked about this son of a Greek. And so these elders, who had themselves been ordained by the Apostle Paul at uh, the first missionary journey in Lystra, now join Paul in laying hands upon Timothy. And in both of the letters, we're going to see this event that is referenced. When Timothy, at the beginning of the second missionary journey, has hands laid on him by the elders of the church, and he's commissioned to be God's servant. And so Paul will write, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Now we're going to talk about what that verse means later and who the presbytery are and when they are to lay hands on someone and when they are not. So that's Timothy's youth, his conversion, and his commissioning. And that's the letter that Paul, this is the person that Paul writes this first letter to. The one whom he speaks of in these verses, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus who is our hope. Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, in Christ Jesus our Lord, I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus. Timothy, your job isn't done there yet. And why are you to remain on? In order that you may instruct certain men 
not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Now, as we study this epistle, we're going to see that Paul's major purpose in writing to Timothy is to encourage him to stay at his post. His job was to counteract those false views that were both doctrinally and ethically distorted. And so he urges Timothy to guard that deposit in which he had been entrusted. At the end of this letter in chapter 6, he'll say, Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. That is, there is a certain body of apostolic doctrine that you have been given and you are to guard it with your life. You are to guard it and hold fast to it to discount these false teachers. And so Paul wants them to remain at Ephesus that that church might be strengthened and that he might counteract this false teaching. Now Ephesus was dear in Paul's heart. Because Paul had spent more time in Ephesus than in any other single city in his entire life of serving Jesus Christ. And he puts Timothy there at this critical city that has an influence on the entire Roman Empire. Timothy, humanly speaking, had everything going against him. He was young in a society that celebrated age and white hair. He was weak physically. And he had frequent ailments. He had some kind of probably gastrointestinal problem. He was by temperament timid. He would not fit the typical stereotype of a Christian leader. He is a rather passive person. Psychologically, we would probably tab him as an introvert. And when found in a confrontational setting, he was prone to run. And so Paul is going to command Timothy to exercise his authority because he knows that he's shy and diffident in doing so. Now, can anybody relate with Timothy? Young, weak, shy. And so when you ask, can God use a person like that? Your answer is found in this man. Now, with those introductory remarks, let's get started in the first six verses. Verse 1 again, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of our God and Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, in these first two verses, Paul makes three assertions that underlie our entire study of the epistle. He speaks of its author, its recipient, and, th and three themes, really, that run all the way through its message. Of course, the author is Paul, and its recipient, we are told, is Timothy, his true and genuine child in the faith. And his message concerns the grace, mercy, and peace that was needed for Christian ministry that is available from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul, we are told, is an apostle. There are no apostles today. We don't believe in apostolic succession as Protestants, as Catholics do. Because we believe what the scripture affirms. To be an apostle, you had to have first seen the risen Lord. You had to have personally been called by Jesus Christ. And you had to accompany that calling with the certain signs, wonders, and miracles that only an apostle could do. Now, it's interesting because this is a unique phrase to this first letter. Paul typically says, Paul, an apostle according to the will of God. 
But here he says, Paul, an apostle, according to the commandment of God. Not by accident. It gives us some insight into Paul's life. I suspect that Paul, like Moses, said, not me, Lord. I mean, Lord, I persecuted your people. I killed your people. I imprisoned your people. I'm unworthy to be an apostle. And so God, by commandment, gives him his apostleship. And in saying that, in giving him the same title that he gave to the twelve, as recorded in Luke chapter 6, a title that did not come by the commissioning of some church or, or self-appointment, but it came by the commandment of our God and Savior. Now, it's rather interesting to note that God the Father is referred to here as our Savior. Usually we see that in reference to the Son. But God is also Savior because the fountainhood of salvation begins with God the Father. For God, speaking of the Father, so loved the world that he gave his monogene, his uniquely begotten Son. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. You say, well, how could God say that he loved us? It was Christ who loved us because God the Father and God the Son as members of the Trinity are inseparably linked to one another. So in God giving his son, the Bible can say that God so loved the world and God showed his love for us because God the Father and God their son are inseparably linked. And so Paul, even as a monotheist, links these two together, affirming the deity of our Lord and Savior. Now, it's a rather striking combination because God our Savior looks back at what God has done through Jesus Christ Whereas Christ Jesus, who is our hope, looks at what God will do at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And in between those two points, what God has done in the past and our hope that is yet to be realized when Christ comes again, between those points is the ministry of the Apostle Paul, which of course lives to this day. And that we are expounding his letters in all the letters of the Apostles in the New Testament. This then is the author, a mortal man named Paul, who by the commandment of God is named as a apostle. In Timothy, whose physical father we have noted is a Greek unbeliever, but whose spiritual father is Paul himself. And so Paul describes him as my true child in the faith. It was their common Christian faith that had united them. And that's the way it is this morning. You know, Wednesday night, we began a brand new class in evangelism, and we asked people to stand up, and about 15 different ethnic backgrounds were represented in that Wednesday night service alone. People from all kinds of walks of life. Why? Because God has made us a family. God has brought us together because of our spiritual relationship to one another. And even so, Paul and Timothy were not blood relatives, they were faith relatives. And Paul calls Timothy, my true child in the faith. Paul called Timothy his true child in the faith because he was absolutely positive about Timothy's abiding love and trust in the faith of Jesus Christ. If Paul knew you, could he call you his true child in the faith? God's love for his children is always abiding, but too often we allow the cares of this world to distract us from abiding in the love of God. There is sage advice in the book of 1 Timothy, advice that will keep us on the right track in our relationship with and our love of God. 
To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program 1TM1, Teaching Sound Doctrine. Don't forget all of Pastor Brogy's messages are available for a free download from our website, searchthescriptures.org. Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy's wife, Audrey, will be in this time slot with her program for women, Mothering from the Heart. And when we return Monday, we'll continue our look at 1 Timothy as we search the scriptures. <music>